Hello and welcome to the One Football Podcast. It's Benzema's Ballon d'Or, Real Tech, Hal Classico, Klopp sees red, plus loads more coming up. As joining myself, Matt Froelich, is Dan Burke. Good afternoon, Dan. Good afternoon, Matt. How are you doing? Is it is it alright that it's just us two? That we're just a bit of back and forth? Dream combo, mate. <laughs> why, why get anyone else involved and spoil it? <laughs> why ruin it? Exactly. Yeah. Uh, we're going to start this week, actually, um, with uh, a little bit of a, well, a little bit, a great comment from David Aslan, who's written into us, because we were talking last week about if Erling Haaland were to match Ronaldo's record, he'd score, was it 37 goals for the next 15 seasons? Something like that, yeah. I think, yeah, the 2037, and I said, what would the footballing world look like? And David has said, uh, a couple of things I could think, uh, think could happen in the 2037 season. Cristiano is still trying for his 701st goal. <laughs> A bit harsh. He might have done that by the time by the time you guys are listening to this podcast. Uh, he then said that Newcastle were the biggest club in the world with Brendan Rodgers leading them to an unprecedented fifth consecutive Super League title. Not even Premier League, Super League title. <laughs> there, there, there's a Super League and Brendan Rodgers is there. I never thought I'd hear that in the same sentence. Um, and Christian Eriksen has a son who's an amazing centre-back prompting speculation about his paternity. I think that's I'm going to need that bit. one explained to me, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> a bit bizarre. I don't, I don't see why. So the fact that he's a footballer would be completely normal. Oh. And you wouldn't question that he's the father, but the fact that he's a centre back makes you think, oh, hang on a minute. I did think about this. I was reading it earlier that because Cristiano Ronaldo, I remember one time he, he was, uh, I think it was in that documentary about him and, and his life. And he was talking with Cristiano Junior, must have been about five or six years old, saying that he wants to be a keeper. And Cristiano Ronaldo was like, no, what are no you chance. doing? That's a joke, <laughs> like, no way. Is that, yeah, there's probably a, a father-son um, footballing duo out there where it's a really kind of bizarre mismatch of positional sense, I guess. I think most... Most of them I'm thinking of at the minute. Actually, to be fair, Zidane, one of Zidane's kids was a keeper, wasn't he? That's right, yeah, Luka Zidane, yeah. yeah. Luka Zidane. But apart from that, they seem to be similar positions. Yeah, sort of just... chip off the old block kind of thing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Like, I, I couldn't imagine, I don't know, if Peter Crouch has a son being like a nippy little left winger. Like it's just not... <laughs> <laughs> I suppose um, Rory Delap's son, Liam Delap, is a striker, isn't he? That's, oh, yeah, that's a bit of a, a difference, yeah, and, it, and quite a good striker by all accounts, yeah. I mean, if your dad's, you know, giving you long throw-ins in the garden every other week, you're probably <laughs> That's good training for you, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> he's probably pretty adept at, at reaching them in the air. Uh, anyway, he's also gone on to say, uh, keep up the good work on the podcast. Dan and Matt hosting reminds me of Prime, Xavi and Iniesta, only with this English Iniesta loving his holidays. I can only assume he means me. It must be, yeah, because, I mean, I do go on holiday from time to time, but uh, not as much as you do. You have... <laughs> More holidays than Judith Chalmers, which is a reference that most people aren't going to get. But I did it anyway. Now I don't even get that. <laughs> Judith Chalmers. She was a travel TV travel presenter on the BBC many years ago. Oh, okay. Yeah. I don't know. Sounds like she worked very hard for her job, just like <laughs> I do. Deserves these holidays. Be, honestly, if there was... I never thought I'd be compared to Andres Iniesta in anything. So yeah. if it means that he loves his holidays too, I'm happy. Would you rather be Xavi or Iniesta if you got to have to choose between the two? I definitely preferred Iniesta's style of play. I definitely thought he was deceptively quick over 10 yards and had nimble footwork. Um, but I don't know, I think... 
I think what I liked about Javi is that he didn't he didn't look like he should have been a footballer. Yeah. Or at least yeah. not a footballer of that quality, you know. He yeah. looks like he should just be some bloke sitting at the end of the bar, like putting bets on the horses or something, doesn't he? <laughs> tell you tell you how he could have been a pro if it weren't for yeah, his bum yeah, yeah. knee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but he was there. He lived the dream. Uh, I wouldn't mind being either of them. I think this is a good little duo we've got going on. A good little one-two. And let's crack on with um, with all the latest in the footballing world, starting with a Ballon d'Or, of course, which took place last night. Um, there's not really much point in going, as I think most players have figured out, when you know you're not going to win. Um, <laughs> and seeing as nobody really had any issues with Karen Benzema winning it, unless you had some bizarre issue with it, um, it kind of seemed like a dead rubber, if there was ever a word for a ceremony. Yeah, as a dead rubber. Much. Pretty much. I mean, it was, I think last year was, there was speculation that Lewandowski was going to win it and uh, Messi won it. That was a bit of a surprise, but mm. generally speaking, it hasn't been a surprise for a long, long time, has it? And uh, I mean, there was some talk last week as well that Mbappe was going to snub the ceremony because he'd not won it. Uh, and I think, what did he finish? Seventh or something in the end, Mbappe? Or sixth, sixth or something? Sixth, sixth yeah, yeah, yeah. But he was there on the on the front row, not looking completely happy with his uh, position, Yeah, uh, let's say, but um, he turned up at least, yeah, so... Yeah, I, I feel like Karim Benzema was the obvious choice. Uh, the top three was rounded off by Sadio Mane and Kevin De Bruyne. Kevin De Bruyne would definitely take it if you're talking about pure, just unbelievable footballing ability. Um, obviously, Manchester City, I say only, only won the Premier League. Um, but when it comes to Sadio Mane, I reckon he's probably a lot closer um, to Karim Benzema than people would have thought. Obviously, they didn't win the Premier League. They lost to the Champions League final. Uh, both domestic cup competitions, the uh, African Cup of Nations with Senegal, uh, also taking them to the World Cup as well. Um, that's not actually a bad a bad year at all. I think he probably it, it could have been closer, I think. There could have been more speculation, more, more excitement before the, mm. the ceremony. Yeah, I think it would have been a bit of a travesty if Mane had won it, despite mm. what he achieved last season and what a great player he is. I think I think Benzema was a shoo-in for it from about yeah. February onwards last year. I think people were talking about that. I remember even around like the semi-final with City, people were saying, oh, he's got to win it, definitely, you know, when, he, when he scored the, the penalty in the first leg. Mm. I think uh, the Champions League is a huge weight uh, when it comes to the Ballon d'Or voting. If you win the Champions League, you've got a great chance of winning it. If you don't, then it's kind of unlikely, especially in the, in the post-Messi-Ronaldo era. Um, so yeah, I have no complaints about the the ranking. I don't think. I think Benzema deserved to win it. I think Mane was probably second best. Maybe Lewandowski could have made an argument to be ahead of De Bruyne, but you know De Bruyne was an influential player in a team that won the title and got to the Champions League semi final yeah. last year. So you know Salah, maybe he could have been up there. Mbappe is a you know a fantastic player. Uh, perhaps didn't do enough to warrant a place in the top five last mm. year. Maybe Courtois is probably the only controversy really on that list of, of in terms of the top 10 of where he should have been. Maybe he should have been a bit higher. It seems uh, very unlikely that a goalkeeper is ever going to win it. I think he even pointed that out himself in his, his uh, post-ceremony interview, which is a bit unfair, but that's just the way that sport is viewed, isn't it, I think? Yeah, yeah, of course. There's so much so that they've just kind of got their own trophy for goalkeepers. Like he took home <laughs> yeah. the Levy Ashton trophy and it's kind of like, oh, okay, well, we know that you're never going to win, so just have your own category. My question yeah. is, how long do you think before they categorise each position? So well, there's a Ballon d'Or, that... attacker, defender, midfielder. Yeah, they brought that Gerd Muller trophy in now. That was new this year, I think. Mm. Um, or maybe it wasn't, but uh, Lewandowski was... won that. They had striker last season, and then since then it was renamed Gerd Muller because he died last August. So right. second year. Right, okay. Yeah, so that was given to Lewandowski this year, almost a bit of a consolation prize, it seemed. Um, and 
they gave Mane the Socrates Prize, which was for his, uh, his community work in yeah. goal, which was a nice one. Yeah. Um, it's good. It's good that they have that, and uh, I think he's a very worthy winner of that because I've uh, I watched a documentary about him a couple of years ago about all that stuff, and it was really interesting. Yeah, he's brilliant. Yep. Um, so yeah, it, I'm surprised that they don't already have a defender and midfielder of the year award. I'm sure that's going to be the next step in the evolution. Yeah, it will end up being like fantasy Premier League when Salah's listed as a midfielder and wins it. And you're like, no, hold on, he's a striker. <laughs> and Ivan Perisic is a defender. And you think, ah, it's probably more midfield. It'll just, it'll just get nonsense. You know what it'll be in the end? Everyone wins. Everyone goes <laughs> to the ceremony. Everyone can pick up a Ballon d'Or and there'll be no arguments over football. Well, I suppose the big controversy about it was that Man City won Club of the Year, didn't they? And uh, I think that, that raised a few eyebrows. And uh, What the, was it actually re- for, though? Well, the reason they won it is because they had the most nominations right. for the Ballon d'Or, including men's and women's. Now, it's a bit controversial because Lucy Bronze was included in that list and she doesn't play for City anymore. I mean, she played most of her football mm. in 2022 for City, so I guess it's kind of fair. And then they had five players from the men's team. So overall, they had more. But, you know, if you're going to give that out, then I don't know. It just seems an old criteria for it, really. It felt like when I saw it as well, without knowing that it was for um, uh, the the club with the most nominees, I was like, oh, is this for like social work? Or is this for sort of <laughs> being an ambassador of the game? And I was thinking, yeah. Manchester City, They're not, not going to win any prizes for that, are they? I don't think, <laughs> yeah. yeah, this is very, very controversial. But it, um, it does feel a bit like everyone gets a... Uh, you know, Oprah Winfrey kind of thing. Yeah, Everyone yeah. gets a car kind of thing. Like, yeah, Man City have turned up. Let's give them some for for, yeah. the, for the trouble. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, we spoke a little bit about Thibaut Courtois. You think he's placed a little bit too low? I'd actually go with Erling Haaland as well. What and higher? Yeah, I, he finished in tenth, mm. and I feel like he could have been a bit higher. Vinicius Junior for me too, maybe a little bit higher. Um, was there anyone who you think was placed too high? who you think should be way down on the list. Too high. Let me have a look again at the list. Um, For me, I think, look, don't get me wrong, he's a very good player, but Sebastian Allaire, I'm not um, entirely sure, based on 2022, um, that he's really the 13th best player in the world. Like, he's a good player and he's had a very good season. I think, you know, it's it's quite a, that's quite quite a high position. Yeah. To be honest. I mean, I suppose Ronaldo being 20th and Messi not being in it at all is a bit of a farce, isn't it, really? Like, surely mm. both, either both of them should be in the top 30 or neither of them should be, but I don't know. I, um, I, did, see, I did see someone said that without the trophies, Benzema has 38 goals and assists in 2022 combined and Messi has like 44. Yeah. Which is, uh, if you're going on goals and assists, look, Messi fans out there, Ronaldo fans out there, every fan out there is going to twist these stats one way or another. Yeah, to, to it, make... it almost felt like a bit of a publicity stunt, the Messi thing, almost yeah. like a bit of a, like they've done him dirty just to kind of drum up some headlines, which, I mean, the whole thing's fucking shit, isn't it? Yeah. Let's be honest with you. I hate it, I hate it all. I hate this, I hate the FIFA awards, I hate the UEFA awards. <laughs> Like, it's crap. That was going to be my final question on the Ballon d'Or before we move on to the actual football was going to be, if you had the choice, would it continue? And is it becoming more popular than a team trophy? If I had the choice, no, it wouldn't continue. No. <laughs> but, I mean, it's I mean, it's, it's very healthy for us in terms of like, you know, people reading our articles and things like that because people go mad for it. and I'm, All about the content. Know, yeah, exactly. But uh, for me personally, I think it's a bit stupid and a bit... You know, football is a team sport. It doesn't, we don't need these individual awards. We don't need to blow up more smoke up these players' arses than they've already had blown up their arses. So I would get rid of it. And I think, I don't think it's becoming more important that a team 
trophy. Maybe for one or two players, it has become mm. a big deal. But I think most players are still focused on you know the Champions League and the World Cup and stuff like that, and the, and the league titles. Above all else, that's their main focus because you can't really control winning the Ballon d'Or, can you? It's it's a popularity contest at the yeah. end of the day, and um, if you get voted for, then you usually deserve to have done so. But the actual ranking itself, it's kind of hard to make a case for anyone, really. Yeah, it become one of those things where they'll try and make it more exciting, like we say, with different awards. With you know, soon they'll have I don't know Justin Bieber performing a halftime Ballon d'Or <laughs> show. They'll just try and hype it up to the point where it becomes the thing in the football calendar. When really, yeah. we just want to see football matches. And on this mm-hmm. podcast, we just want to talk about football matches. So let's get straight into it. El Clasico uh, occurred this weekend, the two hundred fiftieth, I believe. Um, Real Madrid won it. Antonio Kroos was saying after the game about fellow midfielder Fede Valverde that he's one of the top three midfielders in the world. And whether or not you subscribe to that opinion, do we praise Real Madrid's smaller transfer business enough with some of their lesser known signings? Um, obviously, they're known for their Galactico signing and Hazard was a bit of a mess. But Valverde, Vinicius, Rodrigo, and to some extent, Furlan Mendy weren't exactly world beaters at the time of signing, let alone Galacticos. Yeah, very much so. I mean, Valverde... I don't know if he is in the top three midfielders in the world yet, but he's he's certainly getting there. He's in incredible form, brilliant player to watch, scoring some great goals. And the players you mentioned as well, I think they've always had a pretty good scouting network in South America. Uh, Valverde came from Peñarol in Uruguay, mm. I think, didn't he? And went into the, the Real Madrid B team for working his way up to the first team. And um, and Vinicius Junior and, and Rodrigo obviously came from Brazil. And they've, they've got a couple of other irons in the fire, I think, players that are coming over from Palmeiras soon and stuff like that. Yeah. So, yeah, it's uh, it's something they've always been very good at, kind of um, combining those those uh, uh, players that they've scouted uh, with these big signings and, and making it all work and making it all gel together. So, yeah, I thought they were by far the better team against Barcelona the other day. I thought it was it was quite shocking actually the the contrast in the quality between the two teams and uh, it's bad news for Barcelona, that isn't it? Yeah, I was going to say Barcelona were less than impressive. I think mm. is is one way of putting it. Um, but having said that. I was looking through Xavi's record earlier. That was his 50th game, by the way, for Barcelona. Oh, was it? Yeah. yeah, his 50th game. Um, as manager, of course. Uh, his first away defeat in La Liga. Oh, wow. All, yeah, all the previous four defeats he's, he's suffered in La Liga have all been at home. Um, are things still moving in the right direction? Or are we looking at a Clasico loss following on from, not yet, but pretty much a confirmed Champions League exit midweek? Um is that really too big a thing to overlook? And is Xavi still deservedly getting a lot of praise for the job he's done at Barcelona? I think he has done a good job uh, so far. I think he's done a very good job, actually, you know, taking over midway last midway through last season when things were going really badly, really steadying the ship, getting them into the Champions League when that looked like it wasn't going to happen at one point. Um, and they started the season before the Real Madrid game playing really well, uh, aside from the Champions League. You know, the domestic mm. form was really good. They were top of the league. They were defending really well. And I think uh, a couple of injuries to key players in that area haven't helped them recently. I mean, I, I watch Eric Garcia playing for them at the moment. I think you're not good enough to play for them, mate. Sorry. <laughs> I, don't know, yeah. I don't know why I don't know why you were so keen to go back there because yeah, he, 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 he looks out of his depth there to me. Um, it just depends what progress looks like for Barcelona at this moment in time. I think you know going out of the Champions League is is a bit of a disaster as we as we talked about last week. You know both financially and just in terms of morale and their kind of self esteem. And you would think, okay, well they're out of the Champions League. Uh, how can they make the best of this season now? Go win the title. And the game against Real Madrid the other day would suggest that they're probably not going to do that. That Real Madrid is still better than them and probably mm. will go on and win the title. It's very early days yet, of course. A lot could change, but. 
if you're in a situation whereby you have to win the league title to show some kind of progress. And I think they do, considering the amount of money they spent in the summer, the players they brought in, the fact they kind of gambled the club's future on, you know, being in the Champions League and, and finishing high in the, in the table and winning trophies, they have to kind of win something this season. I don't think it's a sackable offence if Xavi isn't able to do that. I think that the circumstances around it have been a little bit unfortunate. I think they've been a little bit unlucky to, you know, almost be on the verge of being knocked out of the Champions League and, like we said, losing the first game of the season away to Real Madrid. There's no disgrace in that, but you need to see something to show for it all at the end of the season and I'm not convinced they're going to have anything. Maybe the Copa del Rey, but that's not really, you know, progress for them, is it? Yeah. It's, so it's it's a it's a tough situation for Xavi, I think. And there was some mad rumor yesterday that apparently um, Laporta is like thinking of bringing Luis Enrique back after the World Cup and getting rid of Xavi, which would be I don't know if there's any truth to that. However, it was some yeah. crazy report in Spain. If there is any truth in them getting rid of him, then then I have even less faith in Laporta than I had already. Yeah, absolutely. There's also the talking of wild rumors, um, a, a rumor that Lionel Messi has agreed to return at the end of mm. the season. Do you think any of his returning hinges on any sort of success, or even if Barcelona did have quite a poor season, he'd still come home effectively? I think he would still come home. Yeah, yeah. I think he he wants to, and that would be the the natural way that he should have finished. He should never have left Barcelona. Yeah. It's a disgrace that that happened under the previous regime. And for them to get him back and, you know, have one last swan song would be would be quite magical and quite nice, actually. Um, you know, even for people who aren't Barcelona fans, mm. I think everyone would, would appreciate that. I don't think he would necessarily, you know, not come back if they've not won the league this year or maybe if they weren't in the Champions League, maybe that would influence his decision. But I would imagine they will qualify yeah. again next year. So, yeah, it should be fine. I was going to say, from here on out, I, I'd see a huge disaster if they somehow managed to about the top four together. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'd love to know what Messi at Bar- back at Barcelona looks like in a year's time, though, whether he's going to be so influential at that that age. You know, he, He's been in good form for PSG this mm. season, but, but obviously he's not quite the player that he once was. And whether that would be a bit of, you know, almost a bit like Ronaldo going back to United, whether it would be a bit of a mistake in hindsight. A bit of a step back, especially if they spent so much money on the future of the club and, you know, having these players in a particular system, would they, you're right, mm. would they go back to just being like, all right, we'll just go back to, what was it, was it like Messi-independence or Messi-dependencia <laughs> or something? I can't remember yeah. what it was, where basically they just rely on him for everything. You're right, maybe it could, there could be I a mean, hint of Ronaldo to it. Messi and Lewandowski doesn't seem like, a very functional partnership to me. I'm sure they could make it work, but I could I could envisage there being problems there, being a bit of them getting in each other's way almost. Yeah, I mean, especially if you're factoring in uh, Usman Dembele, of course, still in his early mm. 20s, let's not forget. But if you're trying to give minutes and experience to the next generation of Ansu Fati, Ferran Torres, Pedri's yeah. obviously a little bit behind them as well, giving all of these minutes to obviously one of the greatest, if not the greatest of all time, might be a little bit, I don't know, it could just sort of halt things ever so slightly. Yeah. Um, but that'll be that'll be yet another thing for the internet to debate whether or not Messi <laughs> Messi is going to do a Ronaldo, come back and <laughs> shit the bed. Anyway, we'll move on from El Clasico to Liverpool against Manchester City. I wonder uh, how Joel is feeling after this one. He's probably still hasn't well, come back down. I love it when you two message each other at ridiculous hours of the morning after the game. Did you get anything from Joel this week? Do you know what, Joel? I've got. I'm going to call Joel out on this podcast now because I because I invited him over to my house to watch the game on Sunday, and he said, "Oh yeah, I might do. I might do. I don't know." He was like, "I don't know if I want to watch Liverpool get battered with you there." And I'm like, "What am I going to do? Like laugh in your face or something?" You know, I'm not like that. We're good friends, you know. Uh, so anyway, he chickened out on the day. He didn't come. He went to his little Liverpool pub with all his little Liverpool mates, where I could have gone to be fair, but I would have been drastically outnumbered if I'd gone there. So. <laughs> 
So then he's like, oh, yeah, you know, City are going to win, obviously. I don't want to be there kind of thing. Then after the game, he's trying to gloat at me. And I'm like, hang on. Oh. You can't chicken out of coming over and then gloat. Surely it has to be one or the other. Yeah. So yeah. One, one rule for one. Honestly, exactly. Joel, the, the people <laughs> demand answers. Right. What was his Twitter Coward. again? Joel S. Murray. <laughs> yeah. That was it. At That's Joel him. S. Murray. Get at him. Let him know you're Give him hell. Yeah, give him hell. (laughs) Uh, As for for the actual match, though, um, if you try and take away your raging at Joel or your fandom of Manchester City, from a footballing perspective, even though it was, uh, say, just a 1-0, it was actually a very, very good game of football. I certainly thought so. Do you know what? At the time, I didn't think it was. um, And maybe I had my Man City glasses on for that reason. I I was pissed off with how City played. I didn't think they played well. I don't think we saw the best version of either of the two teams there. And I don't think Liverpool were that great. And I think mm. personally, a nil-nil draw probably would have been a fair result. I don't think either the team really deserved to yeah. win it. Um, you know, I, it's not sour grapes me saying that. Fair play, Liverpool, they got the win. They, they scored the goal and, and got the job done. And I think, you know, it was, it was definitely an improvement from them uh, compared to how they've been playing this season. But I watched the highlights back actually earlier and I thought, ah, actually it was quite a good game. This There was quite a lot of incident and obviously a bit of uh, handbags and tempers flaring on the touchline and uh, a pretty, uh, well, a good goal from Salah, I think. You know, it's mm. bad defending from Cancelo, but he took it really well, didn't he? Um, a bit of controversy, refereeing controversy. So I suppose it did have a bit of everything, but I just came away from it being really disappointed at how City had played because I'd been suckered into this kind of thinking of City are just going to turn up and win this game. Yeah, yeah. I've never felt so so confident going into a game at Anfield watching City in my life. You know, we've only won there once in 20 odd years or something and that was behind closed doors. But this was like, okay, we're going to turn up and win today because we're the better team. They're playing shit and we'll just win quite comfortably. And then after about five minutes, I was like, mm, we're not playing well here. I don't like, I don't like how this is going. Then City get the goal to go in front. And I kind of knew as soon as it went in that it was going to be pulled back for that foul. So I didn't really celebrate it. And then... Oh, okay, okay. You yeah. saw the foul. I saw the foul in the build-up, yeah. And I thought, hang on. That's probably going to be pulled back for some reason. And uh, yeah, I don't think there was any controversy about that personally. I, I accept that decision. Like I uh, I know Pep was saying that Anthony Taylor had basically told the managers before the game, like, oh, I'm going to let the game flow and let a few fouls go. And Pep was saying, well, if that's the case, how can you then pull a goal back and disallow, disallow a goal for a foul that you've let go? in the spirit of the game. So I kind of get that point. That's what I was thinking because then that's VAR, isn't it? Mm. Not that's Anthony VAR re-refereeing the game then, isn't yeah. it? Which is supposed yeah. to be not what not what is happening. But my view on it is that a foul is a foul, isn't it? Right? It's, it's fouled him, it's led to the goal. And if that is not... Well, there was there were three things wrong with that goal. For a start, Edison saves uh, from Salah at the other end just before it and a goal kick is given. Should have been a corner. So, and then City score pretty much directly from the goal kick. Mm. Secondly, there's the Haaland foul on Fabinho. And then Haaland probably kicks the ball out of Alisson's hands yeah. before Foden puts it in. So, what any one of those three things makes it an illegitimate goal, really. So, like, fine, it happens. Like, get on with it. Yeah, I think uh, I was going to say, we, we talked about Erling Haaland. Uh, is he allowed to have a day off? Because apparently not according to the online world. Because I saw it straight away. It was like, oh, Haaland's ghosted. Where was he? I thought his finishing actually just didn't quite get it right. He had the header in the first Mm. half from that. The most textbook De Bruyne ball you've ever seen. Inside right channel, back post, straight at Alisson. He couldn't quite get his foot through that that shot in the second half that Mm. Alisson palmed away as well. Um, Was it anything more than just some good goalkeeping, I guess? And maybe not Haaland's day? 
Good defending as well, I think. I yeah. think uh, Van Dijk and Gomez did a really good job on him. Um, I mean, it, I've been a bit uncomfortable in recent weeks about the whole furore around Haaland and all this. Oh, he's going to set this many records and City are going to win the league by this many points. Like, it feels like it's just been, you know, built built up to be set up for a fall yeah. there, really. And I, I don't like that happening. I'd rather we just had a bit more kind of patience with him. Like, he can't be expected to score in every single game. Uh, you know, it's the only it's only the second game uh, this season that he's played in that he hasn't scored. Bournemouth being the other one. Um, like you say, he, he had some sights of goal on another day. Maybe he gets his finishing a little bit better and, and he scores. Um, but I think you just have to say that it was he was defended well. Um, City are stoppable even with him in the team, mm-hmm. and that's just how it should be, isn't it? Really, like. If he was turning up and scoring three or four goals every every game, you think, oh, something's something's a bit off about this. It's, it's yeah. not quite right. This, so it's probably nice for everyone to be reminded that he is human after all, and uh, there are ways that you can stop him. But good luck to you because, like you say, he had a couple of chances there, even in a, a day yeah. when it wasn't his day. So another day he takes those chances, and it's a different game. Uh, what do you think of the Klopp sending off? Do you think it was harsh or, <laughs> or rightly deserved? I still, I, maybe you can help me. I still don't actually know what he said to this lino. No, I don't know. But I think he was probably having a few words to say. And I think he even did the old uh, middle finger when he got sent off. Did yeah. I see that? Yeah, yeah. I, I, so I, I, I saw that too. For that. I feel like um, he, he he definitely wasn't inviting him around for tea. Let's, let's no, draw no. that line. <laughs> I mean, I thought I thought Anthony Taylor was really bad, and I, I think that about him pretty much every time I see him referee a game. I think he's he's just a poor ref, um, and needs saving from himself sometimes. And that was why the VA, <laughs> the VAR intervention was was right for for, for my money. Um, I don't know what Klopp said to him exactly. It probably did justify a sending off. And uh, what I hated was the fact that they stopped the game while City were on the attack to send him off. And it's yeah, like that's all right, odd. If that's a player on the pitch, then sure, you have to stop the game to send someone off. But what's Klopp going to do? Like, he's on the touchline ranting and raving. At least let us finish the attack and let the ball go out of play before you before you deal with it. But Maybe the um, Lino sort of feared for his safety. It was like, get this madman away from me now. Maybe, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it always seems a little bit bizarre. I did think it soured the win somewhat. And look, I, I, I'm one of Klopp's biggest fans as a football manager because I think he's unbelievable. Uh, personally, sometimes he really grinds my gears. And this is just another one of those moments where... There's just, you know, there's so many people watching. There's eyes on the world. You have a, a duty to behave, I think, as a football manager, especially as the head of the team. Never mind the the head representative of a football club, of a city, of the Premier League. So to run alongside screaming in this poor bloke's ear. You wonder why Ashley Williams started beefing someone at like his 10-year-old kids match. Did you see this the other day? No. I've just gone off on a tangent, I know. But you remember Ashley Williams, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, yeah, yeah. He was at like one of his kids or his nephews like under 10 matches and started fighting someone on the pitch and got dragged off and then had a go at the ref and then was fighting someone in the car park. See, this is what happens, Jürgen. When you do that, other people want to copy you. I mean, it's it's toxic masculinity at play, I think, isn't it? Yeah. Really, and, it, and it, it's and it's not just Klopp. You know, Guardiola was mm. was remonstrating on the touchline a lot during the game, remonstrating with the Liverpool fans behind the benches. I think, you know, it, it bled over into stands. There was coins thrown at Guardiola. Apparently, there was uh, coins thrown from the City end into the Liverpool fans. Mm. There was a bit of damage done to City's team bus afterwards. It's become a very toxic fixture, actually. Uh, City versus Liverpool I don't like it at all like I don't really have anything against Liverpool apart from the fact that we've been going uh, for titles with them you know there were fans in the City end singing songs about Hillsborough the other day which was just disgusting and yeah, like yeah. and the club haven't come out and apologised it which is which is more disappointing than the result for me like yeah. the club didn't just come out and say we're really sorry about that we'll find out who's been doing this and, and root them out if we can 
Um, instead, they kind of seem to have tried to sort of spin a bit of a yarn uh, to the media that, oh, well, Klopp's comments before the game about City spending wound everyone up unnecessarily. And that's kind of made it a bit of a toxic atmosphere in the ground. It's like, there's no excuse mm. for any of this. It's just, yeah. we all need to calm the fuck down. And, you know, whether that be Klopp, whether that be fans, whether that be players, whether that be Guardiola, like everyone's just sort of lost the run of themselves when it comes to this game. And I dread yeah. this game. I'm really glad when it's kind of out of the way, whether we've won or lost at the moment, because I just hate it. Um, a last word on the on the footballing quality of the pitch. Uh, I've written here, the style of football produced by both teams, uh, the fact that it was route one for the goal, there's something <laughs> beautifully simplistic in the ugliness of it all, isn't there? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. And it was an incredible touch by by Salah at the time I was fuming at Cancelo. I mean, I'll I kind of let him off because he's uh, he's a good player and he's a, he's a bit like our version of Trent, like he's terrible at defending but great going forward, so you kind of like have to weigh up which one's more important and we've weighed up that the attack inside of Cancelo is more important, but yeah, Salah took the took the touch really well, finished it really well and I think he looks like he's back in business now and I think Liverpool are in the title race. I know they've got a, a bit of a gap to make up, but I think they'll do it. I think they'll get back into it. I don't think they'll win it necessarily, but yeah. I think they'll get back into it. I have to say that there was no, there was never a doubt when Salah was running through that he was finishing that. It was, he was so composed. He was yeah. so composed. It was such a, such a, a brilliant Salah finish. Uh, right. We'll move on to Leeds against Arsenal. And aside from the electronic shambles at the start, <laughs> uh, which, which seemed to throw absolutely everybody to, to the point of like, what is this, 1950? Like, no one had a clue what was going on. It was very strange. What was it, a power cut in the end? Oh, yeah, a, yeah. a power surge, a power cut. Oh, right. the fuck knows? Oh, that was a bizarre. Basically, the, the officials couldn't couldn't talk to each other. Um, and so it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't exactly the prettiest game. And it continued like that, to be honest. But is that the sort of match that defines title challenges or winners, especially from Arsenal's case? Not really talking about Leeds, unfortunately, here. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a bit of a cliche, isn't it? But like mm. cliches like that are often founded in some truth. And I think that's the case with this one as well. I think Arsenal are grinding out these results. I think they were pretty fortunate to get a win here, to be honest. Like, I think they uh, they, they rode the luck, but that's all part of it, really. And uh, and I've read before that I think a team that has made this start to the season has never not won the league. Is that right? I may, maybe I've misread that or misheard that. <sighs> wow, but yeah. basically, they're, they're in title winning position that, most teams usually are. I mean, you have to caveat it by saying it is only it is only October. You know, there's a yeah. long way to go this season. The World Cup, blah blah blah. The things we say every week. Like, I'm not gonna. I'm not convinced that Arsenal are title contenders just yet, or mm. that they're gonna win the title. I think they are in the title race, but um, I would still be pretty surprised if they won it. But you know, they're, they're going the right way about things, so. You have to take him seriously. Uh, what did you think about the disallowed Leeds goal? There's quite a bit of controversy, Arsenal. We'll get to it at the end. But the Leeds goal mm. first. You think that was a bit harsh that Gabriel made the most of it? Of a little bit, yeah. Because if, if you look, well, if you look when the ball comes over, Gabriel's got his arm around Bamford, hasn't he? So it's like if the Bamford one is a foul, then surely the Gabriel one is also a foul. So it should be a penalty there, really. But the fact that Gabriel uh, that uh, Bamford doesn't go down means he's not going to get anything, really. And the fact that Gabriel went down means he gets the decision. So I can see why it's not been given, but I think they're a bit lucky there, yeah? Yeah, that's what I, I, I feel like it's one of those things where going down and exaggerating the fall like Gabriel did is basically equivalent to saying, just check this. Yeah, just go, just go to VAR and, and just check it out for the love of God. Like, because yeah, if yeah. you don't, like you say, with Bamford, then nothing really happens, and unfortunately, they don't get the decision. Um, but later on, he was involved in a bit more controversy. Do you think <laughs> the red card should have still stood? 
because you can't you can't like retrospectively take back a kick out and be like, oh yeah, sorry, I was annoyed because someone fouled him in the first place. Yeah, it's a weird one that because the foul was overruled, wasn't it? So the foul mm. was rescinded, whatever you want to call it, um, which I think was fair enough because I think Bamford did foul him first. Yeah. But then, do you can can you still then send someone off even though you've said that it's not a foul? Like, well, I mean, regardless- you, you, could, you could you could you could realistically say Bamford's fouled you, but you have then acted petulantly and kicked out, and you're still off. That probably would have been the just outcome. That, that's what I mean. Because imagine if he free did kick that. to Arsenal, red card for Gabriel. Yeah, yeah. Because imagine <laughs> if Gabriel had, I don't know, like absolutely twatted him or snapped his leg or something, and then yeah. it would have been like nothing because he was fouled first. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure. It's a little bit, a bit of an odd one. Obviously, I feel like if the referee's seen the red card and that's what it's warranted, mm. then whatever came before. The, the I guess he could argue that he, he, was, he was provoked into it by being pushed over and maybe it was a bit of a, I don't know, his foot was up because he'd been pushed over and that's why it happened and he could kind of argue his way out of it that way. But to me, it, it's probably oh, violent conduct. Yeah. All the same. So, yeah. That's why if you're provoked and, you know, you absolutely smash it. I mean, how many times have players been fouled and reacted badly? Yeah. That's kind of what happens. Yeah, I thought that it's was a bit, a like, bit is, it, Do you remember the Balotelli one against Tottenham years ago? When, when he, he stamps on Parker as he was being tripped over. Oh, yeah, I do. And he, he yeah, got a yeah. retrospective red card for yeah. it. It wasn't red card at the time, but he got banned for three matches or whatever later. Mm. So it was a little bit like that, perhaps not quite as brutal as that. But It's just another one of these odd odd VAR decisions that seem to be happening more and more frequently. Mm. A couple of the boys in my group chat on WhatsApp were saying, yeah, anyone notice like, quite a few more happening at the minute i think yeah. we're still it's not so much var we're still struggling with the laws the laws of the game because <laughs> they change them all the time yeah. as well, aren't they so no one can keep up with it all absolute nonsense uh moving on though to manchester united newcastle just one quick line on this dan under fergie united would have got all those decisions wouldn't they yes <laughs> yeah absolutely because <laughs> i think i think of all the times that tottenham were absolutely screwed over at old trafford with penalties with nanny handballing it and then kicking it in when play had it restarted all this kind of stuff and they didn't get it so a little bit of me was like finally if, like, if fergie was the manager they wouldn't send the referee to the var screen they'd send fergie to it <laughs> fergie did you know it was a penalty tonight yeah yeah it was, yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't need to come over, ref. I've seen it. Yeah, I've seen it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, gosh. Um, I will move on finally to a bit of Bundesliga action as Union Berlin won 2-0 against Dortmund. Uh, mm. Are we witnessing a serious title challenge, even though Bayern Munich are slowly creeping back? back? Yeah, it's hard to imagine in the long term that Union Berlin will be top of the league come the end of the season. I still think, you know, Bayern mm. will be... Will be will be the team that wins the league again. Unfortunately, uh, not if you're a Bayern fan, obviously. Um, <laughs> Dortmund's title challenge has fallen by the wayside already, uh, which is a huge disappointment because they're the only team that you could realistically see um, even coming close to challenging Bayern over the long term, over the course of the season. And that's not going to happen now because they're not good enough. I think it's just for Union, like just enjoy it as long as it lasts. And the same with Freiburg, enjoy this time in the sun. You know. Top four doesn't look beyond the realms of possibility for Union. I think that is that is certainly within their wheelhouse, and you know it's such a remarkable story that club that's you know been built up from the ground by the the members of the club. Essentially, spent such a long time in the second division and lower than that, got themselves back into the Bundesliga. They've then qualified for Europe for the first time with the Conference League last year. They're in the Europa League this year to be in the Champions League next season. The money that that would bring into the club and like that could really you know make them 
stay around the upper reaches of the Bundesliga mm-hmm. table for a long time to come and, and be, you know, you, you only need to get into the Champions League once to then it becomes a bit habitual then, doesn't it? And then you could you could see yourself doing it again and again. And that is what's so good about the Bundesliga. There is the opportunity for teams like that to challenge those top four places. Unfortunately, not the top one place. It yeah. seems That seems unlikely, but like I, th- I just think it's an incredible story. You know, Berlin, it's a real inspiration for football throughout the world really like that is what football could be if it wasn't mm. totally dominated by money in the way it is but, yeah. they're acting like a big city club they, can, they are uh, unlike, they might inspire her to yeah, yeah, yeah. could inspire <laughs> them to something amazing chance will be a fine thing yeah I, I, I was thinking of all the teams that certainly I'm aware of in Europe Union Berlin would be the last to kind of sell their soul to Champions League money yeah. like you know just I don't know go and buy Jesse Lingard for 200k a week yeah, or, you know, exactly, something yeah. equivalent where it just wouldn't happen. Union Berlin well, fans would not stand for it. Well, they got Tayo um, Awanee, didn't they? Sold, yeah. they sold him to Forest this year. They got him on a, you know, pennies essentially, mm. uh, sold him on for about 15 million, made a big profit. And that's like the biggest sale they've ever made. So that's, that tells you what kind of like ballpark that they're yeah. playing in financially speaking. And uh, I'm actually going to watch him tomorrow night against Heidenheim in the DFB Pokal. So, Looking forward to that. You can go in, 20 euros to stand up, drink beer during the game, eat bratwurst. Atmosphere is going to be great. And like, it's really hard to get a ticket for a Bundesliga game now. That's why yeah. I'm going for a Pokal game because the members just uh, hoover them all up yeah. as, they, as they should do. So, yeah. Oh, great club. Okay, let's get a little bit of a review on that on Thursday, actually, Dan. You can tell yes. us how the, how the bratwurst was, how the beer was. Indeed. And, and actually, if you're interested in learning more about Union, there's a great book that's been released recently by a guy called Kit Holden in English uh, called Scheisse, We're Going Up. Brilliant book about Union Berlin. Everything you need to know about the club is in that book. And it's really good. Oh, amazing. Who is that? Kit yeah. Holden. Kit Holden. Kit Holden. Brilliant. Love that. Right. Finally, then, well, we've got a question from Carlos Lopez, who has written into us. Of course, you can write into us as well. The address is podcast at onefootball.com. Uh, you can also tweet us at onefootball. Uh, Carlos said, if we're going to talk about flops, would you consider João Felix transfer to Atletico Madrid as a flop? Um, I was hoping he would take off at some point, but it hasn't seemed to have gone that way aside from a few glimpses. Should he leave in the future and where to next? Uh, I seem to remember it was like 113 million euros. Yeah, something it? like that, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. Oh, you'd expect a lot of you'd expect a huge return mm. has he provided it yet Dan I don't think he's come anywhere close to providing it and I don't think it's entirely his fault unfortunately I don't think it ever really seemed like a a logical transfer you know he doesn't mm. seem like a Simeone player you know you, you look at the way Atletico play with the with the wing backs and with with Morata as the the focal point of the attack and with with Griezmann playing off him like this just has never really been an opportunity for for Felix to to kind of thrive in that atmosphere I don't think really which is a bit of a shame I think they they bought him because they thought well let's get this up and coming player it's a lot of money but if it pays off then we'll have you know one of the best players you know the next Messi or the next mm. whoever and um, I, I think there is still potential there I'd be interested to see if he went somewhere else and I don't really know where like maybe maybe somewhere in Spain might be good for him um, somewhere else in Spain sorry but maybe somewhere in Italy um, I don't know they're, they're going to have to loan him because there's no way anyone's mm. paying the, all the money to recoup it. But you, you're right. Like, I remember at the time when he was linked with, oh, God, God knows, everyone, every name under the sun, Barca, Real City, blah, blah, blah. It just seemed like the worst fit. Yeah. Atletico Madrid in sometimes a rigid 4-4-2. There isn't really, there wasn't at the time room 
for this kind of one creative player because it was Antoine Griezmann in the side. Uh, we've seen quite a few creative players go there and struggle. Correa's never really nailed down a complete starting spot. Neither has Thomas Lamar. Um, and yeah, some players really struggle. So I thought this one was was really kind of a bizarre move. Mm. As for where next? <sighs> yeah, you're right. My My head would say a loan to Napoli. Oh yeah, that'll be. I could see him working there. Actually, yeah, I could yeah. see him cooking there. It'd be good. A, a loan to Napoli. You could see him cooking. I could see I him it. cooking. You're right down with the kids and all those phrases. <laughs> uh, thank you so much, Carlos, for writing in. Of course, like I mentioned before, all of you can write in as well. The address is podcast at onefootball.com. Uh, at us at onefootball at fullsportdan or at matt underscore frolic I will eventually change that Twitter handle <laughs> uh, that's all for us for today though um, there's lots of football to enjoy this week there's Manchester United Spurs amongst a whole host of other fixtures myself and Dan will be back on Thursday reviewing his Union Berlin experience plus much more um, so until then we will see you guys later